Welcome. Hyperfixation is an odd phenomenon. To best define it, it's often a coping mechanism, where people fixate and immerse themselves in an activity, hobby, or topic to the point where they can't focus on anything else. For those who don't experience hyperfixation, it can be confusing to have to deal with someone who does. I myself get super excited about things like movie directors and podcasts, and for my girlfriend, it can be a bit much when I end up going on a tangent. So for me, I want to learn about other people's hyperfixation, what it is, how they got into it, and how it serves them. I hope you'll want to dive into this topic as much as I do on My Girlfriend Hates My Podcast. On this episode of My Girlfriend Hates My Podcast, I am joined by another friend of mine running in the circles of people who like to talk about movies on Twitter. This guest currently runs four different podcasts, releasing at least one a week, but certainly not a stranger to more. I'd like to welcome Chris Truman. Hey, thank you so much for having me on, and I'm, I'm glad uh, we finally made this work. Uh, behind the scenes for everyone, this is, I think, the fourth time we've attempted to record this episode because my life is crazy. So I appreciate Andy for, uh, for being patient. And I appreciate Chris for trying so many times to make this work. All right. Cool, cool, cool. So uh, uh, Chris and I have talked uh, a topic for this episode, and I mentioned it a bit in the introduction. Uh, you really liked the podcast. Yes, yes. So, um, yeah, I, you know, when I first heard that you were making this show, um, I was like, oh, my God, that's an awesome idea for a podcast. And it's not something I've heard really delved into on a bunch of them. And I was joking around with my wife. I was like, Oh, you know, I should, I should be on Andy's show. What should I do? And she goes, talk about your damn podcasts. All you do is do your damn podcasts. And she was laughing. And I was like, no, 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 you're onto something there because, um, so why I think it's a hyperfixation is, you know, I, I never really listened to a ton of podcasts. I, um, it was kind of like the last thing I ever thought that I'd do. Um, one, because, you know, I, I like to talk, but I never thought that I really talked about anything all that interesting. Um, and, you know, I'm always the guy in like a group of people that can just talk forever. But, you know, the the recording and the performance part of it, you know, I, I didn't really know if um if that was something that I'd be into. And listening to them, it's like, you know, I, I'm never really a fan of someone going like super, super, super deep dive in depth into a topic I'm interested in because it often gets gatekeepery. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Where, where, where it's like, okay, yeah, we're going to talk about cars because we all like cars. And then they go, but you know, you're only really into cars if you like this. And it's like, yeah. uh, so, so I, I started getting into things like welcome to night Vale. I think it might've been the first podcast I actually listened to. And I liked that because okay, it was so an, in- what was that? So like, yeah, it was, it was an entirely made up thing. So that, then I always thought, okay, well, that's interesting. Um, and it's very obscure and out of left field. And so I really liked that. And, um, then my brother, uh, movie Bob was like, you know, my fans want me to do a podcast and I'd, I'd love you to be a guest. And I'm like, all right, Bob, but you know, I don't, you know, what are we going to do? Like research on a movie? He goes, no, we're not going to do research. We're going to sit down and we're going to talk. 
and people are either going to find it interesting or they're not. It'll be like, you know, listening in on a private phone call. And I'm like, all right, let's try it out. And I, I got hooked. I, I got it got to the point where we'd record one and I go, when, when are we going to do the next one, Bob? I, I really want to do this. And he he saw that spark. And so he helped me, you know, create my Patreon and I became the guy running the Chipman Brothers Tangent. But I I started having other ideas where I was like, you know, well, what if I did a, a show about sharing movies with my kids? Oh, that's what I could do with my wife. Now me and my wife can do one together. So, um, you know, that'll be cool. And then when I originally concocted the Talkbuster podcast, the original idea was that would be my Welcome to Night Vale style show. Mm-hmm. Where I would where I would write a narrative about people working in a blockbuster and tell all the stories that happened with me and my friends, but fictionalize them and make them weirder. And I realized that I don't have the time for that and that the real stories were even more interesting. And then people started hearing about that and, you know, they got hooked. And so I started, you know, reaching out and going, OK, who else can I get on this? And then that's where the shooting the shit show came from because it's like, Oh, I, I need to be able to get more people on and I can't just replace Bob as a guest on the Chipman brothers tangent. He's a Chipman brother. So I want to, <laughs> I, I want to do a different show and that's where shooting the shit came from. And I've still got three or four more in my brain that are like, that I just, I keep concocting. Okay. How could I do this? How could I do that? And that's where hopped ones came from. Um, I was right. driving in my car and I was, I had um, an episode of Hot Ones on, you know, just to listen to. And I'm like, you know, I could do this. I could do this with beer. And it could just be the yeah. same show I already do. <laughs> and and so, so that's where it is. I mean, I, I literally spend most of my waking time talking to people and talking to my wife and talking to my brother and talking to my friends about how I can create. It became a creative outlet for me. And I can see how. You know, I was the same way with animation when I was in um, when I was in high school. I we got an old JVC mini DV camera or that was a VHSC camera that did quarter frame recordings. And I started doing animations and I became obsessed. There's hundreds of tapes of just things I tried that I never did anything with. Of Well, I wonder how you make someone look like they're running fast. And I bought like, you know, Ardman animation books to like tell me how to do it and figured out how to make armatures and all this stuff. And so uh, that's, you know, my hyper fixation is when I, when I learn that something excites me, it's not as not enough for me is when I get feedback from other people. And that's why I think the podcasting thing is, is so great for me because I immediately see how it betters somebody else. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Looking for that. I've found that a lot of the that I've had with people so far for this podcast is definitely a pretty large intersection. Like there's a big overlap in the Venn diagram of like hyper fixation and looking for a outlet. Uh, Like... There's a lot of ways wanting to be creative has ended up creating that drive for just like to keep doing something. So, but yeah, 
No, uh, you have yourself um, have done a lot of creative projects um, between this, and uh, you, for a long time, you also helped with uh, your web series, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, so the majority of the um, the majority of the game overthinker stuff that um, had like video to it. So actual things that Bob was doing, running around in the world and interacting. Right, I was the usually live action stuff. I was I was usually the guy behind the camera or the guy dressed up in the costumes that weren't Bob. Um, and I was the anti thinker a lot of the time, either uh, when he wore the skull mask or from over the shoulder. Um, and I was all the ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I did I did a lot of the the, the writing not writing but like like we would sit down and talk about you know you know like how would the anti thinker dress and what would he sound like you yeah. know and, um, and so we, we did a lot of you know personal um, personal uh, thinking about certain people we've met at bars and things like that and so and and again maybe that's why it didn't play as as well for everybody but it mm -hmm. played so much mm -hmm. for us because when because when we were little, we, that's just what we did. We used to just set a camera up and just make stupid stuff. And, yeah. And so most, most of those stuff was, was at my apartment. Um, there was a big open field near my apartment that we, and of woods over there. And we just go over there and film for hours on end and come back covered in ticks. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was terrible. But, uh, I loved that stuff. And then the war of the thinkers that, that whole thing done in the woods was Lynn woods. And that, um, you know, I, I helped him choreograph that whole thing. That was, that was a big undertaking. That was a multi-day recording event. Oh man. So, yeah, definitely the, like the whole like continuing of like <laughs> all these creative projects. I know, um, you did that for a pretty long time with him. I know myself, I have two younger brothers. Um, and growing up, we also, like, we did a lot of creative outlet-y things, especially when we were younger. Um, I remember, like, as kids, we would do, like, little, like, puppet theater productions. Um, and I would, like, de facto with my brothers and... I just force them to go along with whatever I wanted to do uh, <laughs> and just uh, make these shows uh, mostly for I You dropped out for the last thing there. So you said, what was the impetus for the creative outlets? Yeah, what's been the impetus for um, kind of like all these creative endeavors, um, I guess, for you? Because you, it seems like, like all a new like quirky fun idea to go uh start well yeah so a, a lot of it spawns from the fact that i um i've had to invest a ton of my time into um my career so i i went to college for engineering and a lot of like your life gets put on hold you know when you're in school and i went and got my master's degree and then I started working here. So a lot of my personal time for a while that wasn't, you know, 
spending time with my wife or spending time with my kids or spending time with my family was not, you know, in hobbies and things for Chris, but in finding mm-hmm. ways to finding ways to make sure that my life was taken care of. So I started consulting. Um, and so that's just more engineering. So I did my, you know, job during the day and then my buddy ran his own company. So I did, um, consulting work for him to bring in extra money. So my wife could be a stay at home mom, you know, and supplementing income. And then I was like, you know, it, that just, it, it really beat me down because there's nothing that I had that was wholeheartedly me. Right. You know, there, there was nothing that I could look at the end of the day and go, that's something that Chris did all by himself. You know, some people do woodworking, some people, you know, um, and, and I have hobbies like, you know, I, I like to kayak, but that nothing, there's nothing to show for that. That doesn't better anybody else's life. That's all very selfish. So right. it's like, okay, is, is there a way that I can get some income coming in? So I don't have to come home from work and then immediately start working again, you know, and and can I do something that's fun, but fulfills that need? I I have a, I have a need to be productive. I have a need to end of the day and see that I did something. So even if I'm not recording a show on an evening, and again, that's why I do the recordings, you know, the end of the day after the kids are asleep, you know, so I'm still in the house. My wife's, you know, doing her own thing, watching TV or working on a project and I'm over recording. But then an hour later, I'm back and we're back together. Right. It's not like I'm off on a golfing weekend with my buddies, you know, or, right. or something like that. But it it fulfills me just as much as something like that, where like I, I get off of doing like a show with you or, you know, finding a new um a new person that I've never talked to before or getting like, you know, someone that worked on a movie. And I'm I'm just invigorated at the end of it, you know, and then when I get to release those out into the world and hear feedback from people, you know, or I do these patron hangouts and people show up to those and go, you know, Chris, we're just such a big fan and we really like what you're doing. And it's like, all I'm doing as far as I'm concerned is just something that I really enjoy. And so the fact that they're getting enjoyment out of it too, is just a huge plus, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And that's, and and that's kind of the impetus is it, it makes me feel like I left an impact. And even if that impact is just silly conversations about pop culture or movies or whatever, it it's something that people can consume and people can listen to. And, you know, I made friends through it. Right. Like I'm, I'm talking to you. Right. right. Like I've we, we've we've never met in person, which I hope that we would. But, you know, we've we met over Twitter and, you know, we're sharing, you know, detailed parts of our lives with each other. And I that's so much better than what I get during the day out of work and so much more than I have time for with even my own friends. And I know that that seems kind of sad, but everybody's got their own life, right? Unless you, you plan and schedule something, it's not going to happen. The the folks from um, the adventure incorporated podcast, the D and D podcast that uh, my friend, Mike, my friend, Mike from college does the whole reason they did a podcast is because they knew that if they all agreed to get together on Skype and play D and D, that a couple week, couple of times into it, they'd all just start finding other stuff to do. And it's not because they don't like each other; it's just that life gets in the way, right? right? So they said, now all of a sudden it's a product and people expect it, so we have to do it, right? And so it's like, all right. So I found a way to like find something that keeps me on a schedule, 
It mm-hmm. keeps me wanting to do stuff, but still allows me to feel like I'm doing it because I enjoy it and not because someone expects it of me and not because I have some degree that says I need to be great at it. And it's not a competition. That's, right. that's the other thing I love, right? Like I'm here on your show for no reason other than the fact that I like you and I want your, sh- and I know, and I, and I want your show to do well. Right. It's not like, oh, I'm on here to, you know, tell everybody about my stuff, you know, um, I, and that, that's what I think is great is we're all, we're all helping each other. It's a community where I still feel people are, you know, all in it together. And there's not like, oh, well, my show has to be better than yours or, or vice versa. Right. Right. There's something about podcasting and the and how it feels specifically like a not very competitive field in regards to media compared to other outlets that makes, in a sense, feel a lot more collaborative. Do you feel that? I agree. It feels it, it reminds me of like friends that I knew that were like in underground music when I was younger. Where they're just like, you know, one guy happens to have the ability to record, so he records these guys. Oh, but they they have the connections at the venue, so they play a show with them. And it's not about who has the best production quality and who has the best hook and who has the best sound quality. It's about, oh, no, we're, we're bringing our friends with us because we all need to do well, not just you. And, and I think that's great. Oh, man. That is... Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. Just like the way, like it, it kind of just brings people together. Because like there is a very kind of like, like in a way, like especially smaller podcasts. There's like this kind of fun sense of like the low fineness of it, and that like as long as you have like an okay microphone and an internet connection, you can be like creating stuff with people. Right. And I, I also find that like podcasts, it's a low level of, um, of commitment for mm-hmm. a guest. So right. like, you know, it, it, it's amazing, you know, and, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing anything in, incredible as of yet, but like, you can just get on Twitter and like at somebody like, Hey, I was just recording with, you know, so-and-so and I thought about, you know, some celebrity or some band or some, you know, person that you really like that you follow, how cool it would be to have a conversation with X person about this. Let me know if you ever want to do it. And, you know, maybe half the time I'll get a direct message back saying, of course, I'd love to be on your show. And when I ask people like, you know, why, why does it, they go, because there's no commitment. It's over the phone. I don't have to show up anywhere, which means my level of something bad happening to me is significantly low. I've listened to your show already probably. So I, I already can tell if your whole thing is to get people on and make fun of them. You right. know what I mean? So it, it, it's, it's like, it's different than like going on the radio even, or going and like showing up to events because you just log into Skype or something. You don't even have to do it in person. And now all of a sudden something you're promoting can reach, you know, the fan base of someone that you didn't even know you were trying to reach. And, you know, does, does somebody like, you know, a Kevin Smith or somebody like that need the, you know, 500 or a thousand people that I reach? Well, you know, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get someone like that on the show and all of a sudden they reach people that they're overlooking, you know, and, 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 right. and I think it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think 
there's so many jokes made about how like everyone has a podcast now but like i almost want to like encourage everyone to have a podcast like just go out there and like do something creative for yourself Hey, even if it's even if it's just like a video log that you you take the audio and throw it on a podcasting site, I I looked back after a year of doing the Chipman Brothers tangent, and I'm like, holy crap, there's there's you know thirty to forty hours of me talking on yeah. the internet right now, and that's that's something I created, and people can't take that away from me now. I made that, yeah, you know, and that's really cool. Yeah, like you're just like, you know there's a record of you like out there just like existing with your thoughts and your ideas just kind of like floating in the ether. And it's, it's addictive because it's, it's incredibly personally gratifying. Like mm-hmm. when you do the, when you do the recording, because right. it's like I did something and then you edit it and you put it out there and you go, wow, I made this. But then actually seeing people, talking about it and a community of people start to build around it and doesn't matter it it could be two people it could be one it could be a thousand it doesn't matter right but hearing someone else that you didn't like it's not like you went and jammed it down their throat with advertising or shoved it in some disney movie it's just you putting yourself out there and going hey give me a chance yeah and someone ratches on and goes oh man i gave this guy a chance and it was really cool or they didn't like it at all but they had really good feedback right that's the other thing I've noticed is you, you, you get the haters out there, right? The, the, the internet is full of terrible people. But the stuff that I hear right. are the people that go, hey, if you ever want, you know, like um, help on how to do your compression when you when you do stuff so you can fit more stuff on Libsyn, let me know. Or, right. hey, if you want to know what, what a good headset that worked for me was, let me know. And it's like, wow, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like the way that people will try and reach out because they've also been in that position and you know kind of the rising tides raise all ships sort of deal yes yeah because you know if you help someone out like and you know their production quality gets a little better like maybe you two end up you know guesting on each other's pods and everyone sounds better well right and i mean you know um the the folks over at Geeks with Shields, who I've been on their show, I helped them out with a ton of stuff, you know, and but they, you know, they showed me how to do a patron hangout and how to set up my um yeah. how to set up my Discord server because that's not I, I'm just not from a generation, even though we're all pretty close in age, that ever needed to hook up a Discord server. So I just right. didn't know how to do it. And, you know, helping me out with recording the shows and it's like, you know, we're, we're all helping each other um, move up. And that, that rising tides raise all ships thing is, is really uh, good. I just heard that recently in um, a documentary about ska music yeah. called, uh, called pick it up. And I actually had the guy that made that movie on my show. And yeah, I that's a to it. nice, that, that's a big thing. They all, everyone says about that community is they go, you know, when a band like a no doubt or a mighty mighty boss tones ends up in a movie instead of it being a community where we shit on each other for being sellouts we looked at it as no now people are going to find our music like rising tides will raise all ships and that's literally what happened for, for a couple of years is it was everywhere it's what everybody right. wanted to listen to and it's it's cool that um that we're kind of getting that feeling this kind of like diy 
podcast community and it and, and I like it better than you know like I, I try to pop videos on YouTube every once in a while and it's it's just I didn't realize that podcasting would be my thing because mm-hmm. I like I liked to make movies right. that's what I used to like to do but unfortunately I liked making movies when it was hard yeah I, and I, I don't that's not like an elitist kind of thing that's like saying like I liked sitting there with a camera and making effects happen in the camera, this post-processing sitting around and doing all this stuff. It just, it's not my bag. Like I, I, I don't, I don't want emojis popping up all over my thing and being loud. And I don't, I don't want to be an influencer, I guess is the word. Um, (laughs) But, but that's big for a lot of people, you know, but it's just not my thing. I'd rather have a long form laid back, you know, crack open a beer and talk to somebody about something that they're really into um, rather than, you know, try to come up with a topic every week that I think is going to get me a million clicks. And I think, you know, I'd be doing it even if there weren't people listening to it, I still just be doing it because I enjoy it. And that I think, is the most important thing that if, if the, if the listener base were to disappear, I can still look back and say that I created a bunch of stuff that I'm proud of. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, like, I understand that like implicitly just as someone who's doing a podcast that is only like just starting, um, like I know what my numbers are like not a lot of people are currently listening to this as of yet fingers crossed that that changes someday but like it's just fun to do this it's satisfying yeah. to create it really is and you know and, and like I said and look like when you came on mine and you were like well I used to run a radio show and we have all these cool ideas left and I'm like well dude let's just do your radio show man yeah yeah you know and and that that was great to me because it's something i always wanted to do you know was was what would it be like to just run a radio show and it's like all right this is cool yeah no there was like there's always been that like that that want and that need to just like keep doing something like i've mentioned to you that i have had that like super long list of ideas it's like a five page single space document of just like well you know what does x say about this and this and that and that and this and this and that and like it's not just that i like had those ideas it's that like i wanted to get them out there and like i could put it into writing but like for some reason i guess my own uh <laughs> uh sense of inflated sense of self decided that i needed to speak it on the airwaves <laughs> um yeah well no there's so. there's something there's something to be said for that too though because i um i i definitely in my in my daytime job i'm a uh I'm a guy that needs, you know, documentation and likes stuff to be figured out beforehand and likes to plan and all this. But I don't know. I guess if I was creating a narrative, it would be one thing where it's like I need it to be perfect. But like when I did that live Talkbuster show, there was not a single thing outside of like a little list of some like hot topic questions that I had planned out 
you know, and I just kind of read the room and let that thing go. And I never thought I would be that guy, but apparently in, in, I guess in performance, I guess what we're doing is performing when we do this podcasting thing, even though I think it's just, I kind of shut my brain off and forget there's even an audience and kind of just worry about the person I'm talking to. But, you know, it, I find like just seeing where it goes works so well. And I was so afraid that it wouldn't, I was so afraid that people would get bored by an off the cuff, you know, conversation. Yeah. There, there's always that fear that like, by not having enough direction, you end up just kind of like, Oh, is this conversation just going to meander? And am I not prepared enough to like make this, sound good to make this like a palatable thing to listen to which which again can happen i'm sure but um i think so far so good (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah so um you know whereas you know we had talked about maybe there being a a couple of hyper fixations that i can think of and another one which i i find has gotten me into i won't say trouble from a um from like anything real standpoint, but from trouble in a, like being a completionist kind of a thing is I've had this thing my whole life with, with film directors. And Uh I I do this, Uh I do this with film directors and I also do it with cinematographers because I'm weird. And some people are this way with actors and stuff. I don't know. I following an actor is, it doesn't work for me because I only care about who they're working with. I'll skip even my favorite actors movie if they're in, some garbage director's movie. But right. when I la- when I latch on to a director and I've been doing this since I was little, I have to see everything. And for some reason I go into this, well, they seem like a really good guy and I like all these movies they've made, so they they they, you know, must must just make good stuff and what you end up realizing is that a lot of these guys, you know, this is just a career, it's just a job. They're just journeymen like everyone else. And unless you get up into like the Spielbergs and the, you know, Scorsese's and people that have kind of made it a career out of not really making bad stuff, um, you find that you can get tripped up pretty quickly. Like, uh, I remember from back when I was a kid, I, um, I went and saw Halloween H2O and Mm -hmm. I, I really liked the Halloween series and that movie it's not great, but I love it. You know? And I was like, Oh, Steve Miner. I have to see everything this guy made because you know what? He's, he's a good genre filmmaker. You know, I'm like 13 years old when this movie came out, whatever. And unfortunately, Steve Miner, he's done some good stuff. Like Steve Miner made Lake Placid. Lake Placid is a blast. You know what I mean? But, and like wild hearts can't be broken, but he's also done like Texas Rangers and like five or six horrible made for TV, like religious flicks. And, But what ends up happening is because of it being a fixation of mine, I let it become like the no, no, like I'm I'm going to learn everything about this guy. And then when I worked at Blockbuster, it became more because I'd be like, oh, well, if you like Rennie Harlan because you're renting Die Hard 2, then you got to see Deep Blue Sea and these other six garbage movies he made because I can't stop, (laughs) (laughs) you you know, and um, and sometimes sometimes it works out for the better. right? Like sometimes you find somebody like um, uh, Mike Flanagan who yeah. I, I, I got hooked on to when he made Oculus and I had to go back and watch Absentia 
And now I will not stop watching the movies he makes. And luckily he hasn't made a bad movie yet, but (laughs) then you get, you know, Adam Wingard who I did the same thing with who Adam Wingard made your next. And he did a lot of stuff in the um, ABCs of death movies. And um, he's, you know, he's, he's made uh, the, 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 the guest, I think it was called, but he, he unfortunately was the guy that had to take one for the team and adapt to the American death note movie. Whoops. Yeah. (laughs) So I had to put myself through that and I can go, well, at least I see, I think I see what he was trying to do here. And I'm like, Oh God, here I am trying to defend the American death note in front of a bunch of anime fans. They're going to kill me. (laughs) But, but, but this is what I do. And it also comes from, I have a fairly positive attitude when it comes to art and the things that I like. So there's never really been a movie that I can think of that. I hated the experience of watching. Oh, interesting. Um, I don't think, except for maybe Battlefield Earth, um, and and maybe the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. But okay. other than that, I usually try to find something good out of the experience. Do you, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But but again, I've even been tested there. You know, with some of my favorite directors. I mean, you know, for every you know buddy that loves David Fincher, you eventually have to go back and watch Alien Three. And while Alien Three is is fun. It is not good. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but yeah, no, so definitely. That's, I, don't, I don't know if you... Do, do you find with um, that you have anything similar with, like, music or, or films where you kind of have to, like, latch on to something? Um, I've talked a little, little bit about this before, is that uh, I weirdly get into this with... Um, not with uh, specifically creators but with franchises um like i'll watch something and then i'll be like all right like even like if i somewhat enjoyed it i'll be like all right time to experience every other movie in this franchise now and it's like or time to like play every video game in this franchise like i've been uh i was for a little while i was just like playing through like the old assassin's creed games for the first time and like I wouldn't even say those games have, like, aged particularly well. Um, But, like, I was just kind of going through it because I was just like, well, I need to see this, like, doofy-ass narrative to the end about, like, these, like, Florentine assassins dealing with, like, ancient aliens conspiracy nonsense. Like, it's, um... I don't don't exactly know what compels me to do that other than like well there's more of it so i should experience more of it i guess no that that that's exactly it and um i i find you know when you mention that another one too and uh, the the younger me definitely had time to get drawn into hyperfixation a lot more um which is the podcasting has kind of taken up all of my current one but i used to get hyperfixated to the point where like it was drawn all over all of my school work and it would be, you know, what I would read about, you know, pre-internet, you know what I mean? Just going out and buying game informer issues and reading up what I could, I would get addicted to the production of video games. Yeah. And, and it, it would be like, I would always seem to catch the one that took a long time to come out. 
Mm. And I don't know how I did this, but the one that I truly remember was back in 1999 or 98, whenever it came out. Um, this was Legacy of Kane's Soul Reaver, um, okay. which was the sequel to Blood Omen. Um, and Blood Omen was an incredible game that I had never played. But it's, I, I got this episode of PlayStation Magazine, which was uh-huh. a magazine that came on a double disc CD. And it was they had interviews and stuff that you'd play through your PlayStation, but also demos. And they had a demo for Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver. And what fascinated me about this game, I, have you ever played it? No, um, I'm like vaguely familiar with the premise of it. Yeah. So go back and find gameplay videos if you can. But you got to remember, this was a last generation PlayStation one game that they Mm -hmm. had been developing since like the second year of the PlayStation one. Like they they dumped everything into this game. It was Crystal Dynamics and Eidos. I don't think either one of those companies are around anymore, but they dumped everything everything into this game and i became obsessed because their first big thing was it was going to be the playstation's answer to the legend of zelda it was going to be a big open world game and it was going to have no load times and it didn't it it literally loaded what what it did is it had these long tunnels that you went through from the save points and when you ran down the tunnel the game continuously was loading the world outside and so they tricked you and then it never had a loading screen. So it's uh, like, that's brilliant. Like, it, it was just brilliant the way that they did it. And what was cool about this game is you could shift between this real world and, like, the ethereal ethereal plane. And so you had to use that shift between the two to solve puzzles. Because, like, there'd be, like, a ramp you could walk up in one, but you had to be in the real one to get the key. And the game was just ingenious. And it was, like, a six-year production. From the time I played this demo to the time the game came out. And then they never even finished the game. So I like had I had it memorized like what villains were gonna be in the game, because in the opening cutscene you see all the brothers you're gonna fight, and you only end up fighting half of them in the game. So I like I had like a notebook where I had it figured out which ones I fought, and I'm like, so where's the rest of the game? And they like pretended the game ended there, but it really didn't. And then on PlayStation 2, they finally finished it, but it wasn't quite as good. (laughs) And, And so I had I had just like it was like, you know, watching like um someone like put together like CSI of like, you know, with like the line, like the um what is it? The push pins on the wall with the yarn between them. Like, that's how obsessed I became with this game. And then the next one I picked after that was Shenmue. So I keep picking these. Ultra, I mean, Shenmue 3 is finally coming out. It just came out. I think yeah, right? last week. And it's just wild. And I, I don't know if they did what they did with Shenmue 2, but because no one really had a Dreamcast, um, even though everybody did, but then no one did, um, because you couldn't get back and play Shenmue 1, they released the story of Shenmue 1 as a movie. So they just cut all the cutscenes together and sold it in the package with Shenmue 2. So you got a recap of the first game. And I thought that was really cool. Um, because the story was intriguing and I followed that. I bought every single magazine. Um, I got every single demo that I could find for that damn thing. I knew who all the characters were. I know what characters, you know, didn't make it into the cut of the first game. The guy just deep dive. Right. And, right. and that's what happened. And and nowadays I'm more of, okay, so I have like five or six games that I 
casually pick up and play. No, then I would just grab one and just laser focus into it. And it became everything I thought about. It became like everything that I did. Like that's my playthrough of Final Fantasy VII when I was like, I don't know, whatever year that game came out. Um, that was the same way. Or it's like I, you know, I had notes <laughs> like going yeah. outside the game. But you know, I, I I think back to like where that fixation came from. Like you know, because I like to try to think about where these you know, ways of being and how you act could come from. And it makes me think back to when I used, we used to play games as a family. Um, my mom and my dad and me and my brother would sit down and play through a Nintendo game together. And, you know, we were both very young Mm -hmm. when Nintendo came out. So that made sense. But like, I remember two games in particular were wizards and warriors and Castlevania two Simon's quest. And my dad and mom kept notes like instead of like calling up Nintendo help guide or looking in Nintendo power, we would go through as a family and figure out, okay, this worked, this didn't, this is where this key is. This is, you know, what potion you use to do this. And we would like keep track of how we were making it through the game because on those games, you couldn't really save them. Right. So you have to, Oh, you know, we've, we've tried too much tonight. looks like we'll turn it off and try again tomorrow. So we had it pieced out like how you got there. And, Mm. uh, you know, and that that particular that video game, one I think came from that of like that there's a collaboration happening outside of just playing the game. And uh, and I I think that made its way into my psyche, if you will. Yeah. There's definitely something about the like period of gaming pre I would say pre online multiplayer where there was a lot more of just, like, you are with your family or your friends, like, playing together or working together to figure a game out. And there's something really interesting about that. Also, I got really curious when you said that you think Crystal Dynamics was closed, so I ended up Googling to see if Crystal Dynamics is still around. They actually do still exist. Nice. Yeah, they are currently, uh, they're still under Square Enix, and um, their last release game was Rise of the Tomb Raider in 2015, and their most recent game uh, that is coming out next year is that new Avengers game. Shit, I completely forgot Crystal Dynamics were the ones that did Tomb Raider. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, so they're still around and kicking. I really like uh, that reboot, Tomb Raider and Rise of the Tomb Raider. Oh, so, they, they did a fantastic job on those games. Yeah, I don't think they did Shadow of the Tomb Raider, though, which that one got lesser reviews. So I guess that's what happens when you don't have a pretty stellar dev team on it. But, but anyways, uh, where were we going from here? I don't know. I don't know. We were, talk- we were talking about hyperfixations. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think because um, I went through in my head if there was any. So something that's a little less, I don't know if you'd consider it a hyperfixation, but it was something funny that I did that I don't know if, if everybody else did is I had this, I guess this would be a hyperfixation. So do you remember strawberries? The the record like store? the fruit? No, the record no. store. <laughs> 
So there was a chain, <laughs> no, was a chain of record stores, and they had these particular holders that they put their CDs in. That would like it was a plastic like riser that would hold the CD up high. So when they had them on the shelves, it would like rise up above everything else. So they put like the big new releases and they would stick up above everything else. So you could see them easy. And, you know, they they gave one to me when I took like the first CD I ever bought their home. So I think the first CD I ever bought was Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell 2, Back Into Hell. Um, okay. I was I was eight years old. And so I had this thing and I would put a CD in my CD player, you know, one of those like multi like double tape deck um, radio CD player with a record player on the top of it kind of doohickeys that like AVX yeah. or one of those companies made. And I put it up there. And because I had this thing, I would put the CD in it and lean it against the front of my CD player as if I was displaying it like it was in a store or what was on store play currently. So like when anybody would like come in my room to play a video game, they wouldn't have to ask what they were listening to. It's like, there it is right there, man. It's on display. And it became something I had to do like no matter what. And I guess this would be more like an OCD thing. If I played something, I had to find this plastic thing and walk the next CD in it and line it up to the point where I started doing it with my PlayStation games. Like I had to have on display what I was playing currently. Oh man, I definitely feel that. Like kind of just the that that performance of like this is my taste. Like this is what you're seeing uh, and doing right now. Like I remember as a kid, like I would always have like really tidy like next to my video game consoles. I would have have like all my games like shelved really nicely, yep. and I would like not. I would organize them by like the franchises of games so I would have like here's all the Mario games and then there's all the Sonic games and then there's all the Legend of Zelda games and yada 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 yep and I think uh, just kind of like making the point that like yes like I I understand this and like this means something enough to me that like I will put the effort of like organizing and displaying this right exactly and it's it's something that uh you know it's it's something that it's like i don't know why we all you talk to anyone and you're gonna find that somebody has something like that that they've done or they do right there's something that like materially you're just personally proud of right and you don't know why and you don't even know who you're trying to impress or prove it might just be yourself but it's like right. something because it, it's like why do why do we display action figures you know is there a point to it right <laughs> you know what right. i mean like but of course there is just like personal satisfaction yeah exactly exactly oh man fun stuff all right so, um, I'm trying to think, is there anything else, uh, that you want to talk about right now? I'm right now. No, but I mean, I could talk to you forever, but, <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, um, I'm thinking I probably need to, uh, get back, back to work. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, but this has been very fun talking. Uh, would you like to tell people uh, what your uh, the name of of your podcasts and where they can find you? 
Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Chris Chipman. I go by the Chippa on social networking. Um, my podcasts all fall under the umbrella of the Chippa made this. Those podcasts are the Chipman brothers tangent, um, shooting the shit with Chippa, the Talkbuster podcast and creating geeks, a podcast of great responsibility that I do with my uh, wife. That one's about sharing things from our childhood with our kids. Um, that one's a lot harder to produce because it requires both me and my wife to have time. So there's been less of those recently, but I'm working on it. And if you were a, a patron of mine, so you can go over to patreon.com slash the Chippa, uh, those podcasts I do for free, but I give you early access to them if you join my Patreon. And I also have um, Patreon exclusives, which are a monthly patron hangout where you get to come on Discord and talk to me and the other people that share similar interests. And sometimes even my brother movie Bob shows up. Um, there's also hopped ones, which is very similar to the spicy wing eating show hot ones, except we drink beer um, and the beers get funky and weird and disgusting. And we just have a good time laughing and talking. Um, and also I put the patron hangouts out there um, as patron exclusives to listen to later. So that's me. That's where I am. My stuff's on iTunes and, Last FM and um, Podbean and Google and wherever else Libsyn decides to put it. And I try to put most of them on YouTube as well. So just check me out. And also, please be sure to check out um, the episodes that Andy has been on on Shooting the Shit for sure, because they were all very great and there'll be more. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to being a guest on your podcast in the future. And I'd love to be on this one again. Um, I'll, I'll try to, I'm sure there's a million things that I do that um, in, encompass my entire life, but, but children, I guess you can't claim as a hyper fixation because if, if you just give those up, they, they, they don't live anymore. So yeah, I, I think that comes more towards responsibility than hyper yes. Yes. Yeah. I just figured I'd run, but that, that's the majority of the rest of my time. So um, yeah, back to work because our hyper fixations also affect our jobs. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. Uh, all right. Well, awesome. Thank you for uh, being on here, Chris. This is Andy Rodriguez, and thank you for listening to My Girlfriend Hates My Podcast. See you next time. Such a good title for a show, too, man. I love it. Thanks again to listening to My Girlfriend Hates My Podcast. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this. Alright, peace.